I like it. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> Psalm 15 this morning. Let's turn there, and you will hopefully remember that uh, a few weeks ago, now we had an interruption with, with Michael, the church planner from Arkansas, coming, and, and then Mike from uh, Mission Hope coming. We started in Psalm 15 in uh, kind of an introduction, and now we're going to continue on, and I'll, I'll review some of the things that we learned to make sure that we're all up to speed on Psalm 15. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Heavenly Father, come upon us today with your Holy Spirit and open our eyes that we might not just see the words in black and white, but they might penetrate our hearts and affect our lives. The word is here so that we might live it, we might feast upon it, that we might then take it, internalize it, make it part of every action and every word. Heavenly Father, bless us through the reading of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 15, a psalm of David, and this is the question he asks. O Lord, who may abide in thy tent? Who may dwell on thy holy hill? And then the rest of the psalm is the answer. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own heart and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. So we had an introduction to basically what ethics are and how they are seen and displayed for us here in Psalm 15. Now, if you remember, we'll go back a little bit, we looked at some information, some research from the Marcula Center for Applied Ethics. They deal most probably with business ethics more than anything else. And they had a question that they put out to a variety of individuals, and the, the answers were very uh, surprising. The question was, what does ethics mean to you? Now, we learned that, uh, and I'll give you the what, they, what ethics are not. Being ethical is clearly not a matter of following one's feelings. A person following his or her feelings might recoil from doing what is ethically right because it doesn't feel right, or it may be personally costly. In fact, feelings often deviate from what is ethically correct and ethically right. Nor should we identify ethics solely with religion. Now, most religions, of course, have ethical standards and ethical expectations for those who practice those religions or believers. Yet, if ethics were confined to religion, then ethics would only be confined to religious people. But ethics applies across the board to religious people as well as the atheist or even the agnostic um, so also remember there's the comparison between the ethics of the devout Christian and the ethics of the devout Muslim. They might be very, very different. Being ethical also is not the same as following the law. The law often incorporates ethical standards, which is good, and which most citizens subscribe. But laws like feelings can deviate from what is ethical. There are what 
many consider to be unethical laws in almost every society. Just because it's legal does not make it ethical. All right? Ethics is not the same as doing whatever society accepts. In any society, most people have an accepted standard that is, in fact, ethical. But standards of behavior in particular societies can deviate off into what is not ethical, and entire societies can become basically unethical societies. We think of Nazi Germany. We think of the Soviet Union. We would not hold them up as pillars of ethical behavior. Now, what we did do is define Christian ethics, Christian ethics in this way. The law of God put into practice through a changed heart. The law of God put into practice through a changed heart. Now remember that the law of God functions to inform us of our sin and so that we would live within the boundaries that God has set up for us. God says, "Do yeah, this is as far as you should go, this is as far as you should go. You can go farther if you want, but there's trouble beyond those boundaries. Uh, but it's set up so that those whose hearts have been changed by God's grace live those things out joyfully. We want to live within the boundaries that God has set for us. Now, the Gospels, as an example, are replete with instances where we don't deal just with the legal aspect of things, the law. Remember, Jesus has plenty of sayings like this, you've heard it said this, but I say to you. So things like you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you what? If you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, eh, you're in pretty big trouble right there. So there's more than just the do's and the don'ts. There is this, the ethic of the heart and how do you live those things out. The ethics are rooted in what God says is right, lived out in actions, in obedience to that word. So in this way, Christian ethics don't change. God does not go, how does the wind blow this month or this year or this generation? And I think I'll change the standard of behavior this generation um, so it's easier on them. or Because so, they want to change, so I will change with them. God doesn't do that. He doesn't focus group and determine what is right or what is happening today. He has a standard that is set. We are called to live according to it. Not only are we called to live according to it, we are given the grace and, and, and ability to live according to it. So in Psalm 15, this is not a road map on how to get right with God. This is not a road map. If I do these things, then I'll be in good with God. That's not what it is. It is someone whose life is already changed. What does that life look like? These are the things he does. These are the things he doesn't do. It is more of a prescription of how to live once your life has been changed. So the first evidence or requirement of the man who can ascend God's holy hill we looked at a few weeks ago was his character, both the positive and the negative. His walk is blameless, that's what he doesn't do, and he does what is righteous. So the blameless, the word blameless means he's well-rounded. Well-rounded. doesn't mean he eats too much or, or, or gets into all kinds of things. It means in all of life he walks blamelessly, okay, in every aspect of his life, whether it is Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or 30, whatever day it is of the week, he is walking blameless. Whether there are people around him, whether he is by himself, his walk is the same. That is very important. 
Um, remember, and, and then he goes on to say what, what he does. He does those things which are righteous. We looked at Matthew 25. What you do to the least of these you have done to me. Or look at James chapter 2. What good is it if you have faith if you don't have works? Okay, You have to live out the faith. And you live out the faith, according to Psalm 15, in this fashion, a fashion that is demonstrates, that is ethical, demonstrates what has been changed in your heart. Secondly, it says he speaks the truth. He speaks the truth. Now, in his heart. Now, that's kind of a strange thing. How many of us speak in our hearts? All of us. Okay, we all have those things that go on inside of us that we don't broadcast to the outside world, but we are wrestling with them. They are bubbling within us. Um, they challenge us. I mean, it's those things that go on inside of us. Are they going to come out of us? David says ethics is not just about what we do, but it starts here in our heart. You have to be ethical on what you think when no one else can tell what you think. Okay? You know, in the South, we have this phrase that's it's the, the smooth all phrase. What is it? It's all, bless your heart. Okay? Uh, you're so stupid. Bless your heart. We don't say you're so stupid. We just, we say. now it can be used in a variety of ways. And, and I've, only, I've only been in Alabama for 16 years. I'm still getting the subtleties. Okay? Still getting, working it out. But it's, it's those things in your heart. Do you think about somebody? Do you go, how could he be so stupid? But walk up to him and say, you're just a great guy. Oh, that's, that's what David's talking about. Okay, that's what he's, he's dealing with here. And, and really, this is a summary statement that speaks truth in your heart, the internal dynamic of righteousness that, that affects everything else in this psalm. Now, turn with me. To Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. You'll see the Old Testament prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then you'll come to Daniel. The man who is ethical in his heart, who applies the word of God, who does what is righteous, he applies it in all aspects of his life, whether it's Saturday night or whether it's Sunday morning. The man is the same, whether he is in a room full of people leading a discussion about godly things, you would assume that their ethics were good, or by himself in his own thoughts. There is no differentiation. The same is across the board. You could sneak up on them. Okay, How many of us, you remember the, the, the Agatha Christie movies or books, there's always a, a painting where they pull out the eyeballs and everybody looks into the room and spies on people. How about if somebody was following you around all, all, all the time or would watch you in the room secretly? Would they see you behave the same way in private as you do in public? If somebody could look into that conversation going on in our hearts that only us and the Lord knows, would they see a, a sameness? Would they see godliness there in that discussion? Well, I think Daniel helps us understand here where things can lead us, that the, the thoughts of a, of a man in his heart leads, if they're sinful, they will lead into sin. Okay. Let me give you the Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. 
Now it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one. Now remember, Daniel was a uh, a captive. They, they took away uh, some of the best and the brightest. And, and if you look back in Daniel, Daniel, you've seen him be obedient to the Lord. He didn't eat their food. He ate uh, different food and actually uh, was better than the other guys. So Daniel has been faithful through this process. Uh, and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, he was one of the best and the brightest, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now, this is much like, uh, sorry, I, I diverge, much like Joseph. Joseph started out as what? A slave and, and in prison, and before you know it, only Pharaoh is above him. He's in charge of the entire kingdom. This is where Daniel is headed. Verse 4. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. Well, they were jealous. I can't believe that. The foreigner who started as a, as a captive now is going to be ruler over us? You've got to be kidding me. This can't happen. Let's find a way to get rid of him. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. In his public life, David was above reproach. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came to agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Okay. That was, if, if the king signed it, not even the king could change it once it was signed. Therefore, the king Darius signed the document, that is the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, and he knew it was targeting him, I added that. He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, and this is the crucial part, as he had been doing previously. He did not change. Might it be dangerous now? Yes. But in the voices of his heart, this is what he did. He, they could not bring charge against him in his public life, so they thought maybe we can bring charge against him in his private life. Yes, they were going to catch him worshiping some other god, praying to some other god, but David was, or Daniel was, I'm, this is my faith. This is how I live it out. I will be the same no matter where I am in this process. The pressure of persecution did not intimidate Daniel. He was obedient when it was easy. His, he was obedient when it was difficult as well. Now, back to Psalm 15. 
The language here expresses the habitual nature of what is going on. This is the walk with integrity is all the time. It is habitual. It goes on and on through all aspects of his life. Now, I said Psalm 15. Turn, turn over a couple pages to Psalm 19. A great psalm focusing upon the word of God, but just look at the last verse. This is one that uh, you'll probably know off by heart. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So we have to ask ourselves, do we pray that just before we speak? I hear a lot of pastors use that, just before the sermon. Now, we should pray that when? Probably before we open our mouths at any time. Okay, that should be an ongoing prayer. Lord, that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of my heart, what I say and what I think should be pleasing to the Lord. Okay, not just when I get up in front of public, but when I am quiet by myself as well. So we have to ask ourselves, are we preoccupied with these things? Are we preoccupied with demonstrating his love to others? Or is there a selfishness and an envy of others and the things of the world? Is there something bubbling below the surface that's going sooner or later to, is going to come out? Do we go after the external sins of our lives and just stop there? Or do we pursue the death of the internal sins as well? In, in the Sunday school class, we're talking about sanctification. You've got the mortification of sin and the vivification of holiness. You've got to kill the sin. What needs to be put to death in your life and what needs to be raised to life in your life? That's what we are about. What do you think about when you're alone? When you're driving down the road and you've got, you know, a gum wrapper, you look at, do you look in your rearview mirror and see if there's anybody behind you? If there's nobody behind you, do you just throw it out because nobody's watching? What harm can a gum wrapper do? I remember seeing a sign growing up. We were a $100 fine for littering. And I said, Dad, really? What if I just throw out, you know, a little piece of paper? It's going to be a $100 fine? And, you know, dads are so full of wisdom. He said, what if everybody went by and put out a piece of paper? Oh, okay. I get that, okay? Do you do it when you're in public? Are you obedient just when you're in public or when you're by yourself? Spurgeon says this, The godly not only desire to love and speak truth with their lips, but they speak to be true within. They will not lie even in the closet of their hearts, for God is there to listen. They scorn double meanings, evasions, equivocations, white lies, flatteries, deceptions. We must be careful that the heart is really fixed and settled in principle. For tenderness of conscience toward truthfulness, like the bloom on a peach, needs gentle handling. And once it is lost, it is hard to regain. Let me give you that portion again. Tenderness of conscience toward truthfulness, once it is lost is hard to regain. What's he saying there? Once you've lied about it once, it's easy to lie about it again. Once you've done wrong once, it's easy to justify a continuation of that behavior. So the man in Psalm 15 is, 
is, is one who used to walk according to the counsel and course of the world, but now walks in holiness. Think about this. If you ever turned on a one-way street and didn't know it until you saw a car or two cars coming down at you, what did you do? You got off the street, you pulled off to the side as fast as you can. That's the man who wants to walk in holiness. When he gets on going the wrong way, he wants to get off that street just as fast as he can. Just as fast as he can. Because the man whose life has been changed does what is righteous. It's not that he thinks about what is righteous or meditates on what is righteous, or discusses it with others, and then prays about it to determine if he's going to do what is righteous. He sees what is righteous and does what is righteous. That's it. Both in public and in private. Okay. The second one. Psalm 15. We have character. Now we have conversations. Conversations. And in our world today, a conversation is not, um, uh, what's, what's the word, not, um, not just what we do face to face. Ours is a very much a, an electronic world. So our conversations will include everything that happens. I don't have my phone. Good for me. Uh, everything that you do over your phone, your email, pictures you send out. It includes all of those things in our lives today. So let's look here at verse 3, or the end of verse 2. He speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. The person speaks the truth. He tells it like it is. Jesus says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. I used to um, say often, and I, I tried to get out of that habit, well, let me be frank with you. Like, and and then you make the assumption that I haven't been frank with you previously. I have not been telling the truth previously. Oh, no. If it's yes, it has to be yes. If it's no, it needs to be no. Okay? So the Hebrew word for truth here includes both the idea of accurate information as opposed to what is false. Okay? Accurate as opposed to just what is false. One who speaks truth is a trustworthy person. So, you know, there was this great discovery last year in, in the political world. It was called fake news. You know, fake news. We'd never heard this before. We'd never seen fake news before. And all of a sudden, there was this onslaught of what everybody was defining. Oh, that's just fake news. Well, I, I did a little research about the first time that, that fake news hit the scene and there was one guy and there was one girl and they did what was wrong and the Lord came on and asked the guy, hey, who told you you were naked? He said, it was the woman. The fake news is it was her fault. No, it was my fault. Fake news is lying. Okay? That's what it is. It's lying. Well, I just, it, no, no, it's a spin. No, no, it's lying. Let your yes be yes. Understand, you know, you, we understand it as that. But in society as whole, as a whole, we've just come to accept that some people are going to put out news which is wrong. Wrong, hmm, which is a lie. Scripture says, let your yes be yes, your no, your no. We, we are entitled to our own opinions, not our own set of facts. Hmm. The conversations of the one who can ascend the hill of the Lord are not seasoned with fake news, are not seasoned with 
insincere flattery or or maybe if I, I, I you know I, 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 I tell him these things I'll get my way no it is not lacking important facts it is not discarded information the words of the godly are true and kind they are delivered in love even if they are hard that is the conversation of the godly the word here for slander pictures someone walking around purposely spreading false stories. We call that what? Lying, gossip. You, we got a lot of words for those things. All right? David has made a point back in Psalm 12 uh, that the faithless lie. The faithless tell what is false about me. So in Psalm 15, we see that the righteous man is separated from that kind of devious speech. If you want to have a fellowship with God, you've got to control this. Okay, control the tongue. Control what comes out of your mouth. And it's not just, as I said, what comes out of your mouth. It's what comes off of your thumbs when you text. It comes, what comes off of your fingers. You know, are you sure you want to send, hit that send button? Because once you do, it is out for the world to know and for the world to see. And you think, oh, I'm just going to send it to my friends. No, it, it, it goes exponentially. I remember reading an article from an HR person several years ago who said everybody who's under 25 is going to have to change their name because when they go to apply for a job, the, the, the employer is going to say, okay, well, let me see the history on your Facebook. I want to see all the stupid things that you've done. Okay? Oh, because we post them. It used to be we did them in secret so nobody could see. Now we're there with a camera to take a picture of our stupid events. Ugh. Psalm 15 shows us that it's not just that we refuse to speak evil, but what does it say here? Nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against a friend. He's talking about what we'll listen to as well. Will you listen to evil about your friend? Spurgeon says this, In slander as well as robbery, the receiver is as bad as the thief. If there were no gratified hearers of ill reports, there would be an end of the trade of spreading them. Call for a policeman, we say, if we see a thief at his business. Should we feel no indignation when we hear gossip at work? Do you stand there and listen to derogatory remarks about people that you know? Do you stand there and listen to gossip? What's the difference between gossip and concern for people? That's a fine line. I'm just sharing things so that we can know and pray about that. It's a fine line between that and gossip. Okay? Our conversations, what we listen to, they are a barometer of our hearts. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 13. I read in an interview once, a guy was interviewing a murderer, and he asked the murderer, Do you regret what you've done? And the murderer said, of course I do. He said, why is that? Well, it got me in here, didn't it? Ooh. He didn't say he regretted the murder. He regretted what? Getting caught. Ooh. Getting caught. A man's words displays the corruption of the heart. 2 Samuel chapter 13 
And I'm just going to read a little bit and tell you the story about what's going on here. This is Absalom, the son of David. Now it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. Now, the whole purpose about this is what Jonadab does. Jonadab uses his conversation. He sees an opening, how to make progress and get in with this. So uh, he comes along and says, what's wrong? He says, oh, I'm in love with Tamar, his half-sister. He says, really? Then he gives him counsel as to what he should do, and his counsel is evil. And what happens after that? He goes and he rapes Tamar. And then Tamar's brother eventually comes and kills him because of what he did to his sister. And Jonadab is over in the corner going, this is working out just great for me. I'm causing chaos. But you understand, the words of his mouth were a reflection of the corruption and the evil that was in his heart. The ethical man guards his heart, guards his words. James says, the tongue is restless evil, full of deadly poison. Again, Heart's right, words will be right. The content and quality of our conversation is especially important when it comes to how we deal with believers. My friends, the the pagan world will hate us enough. We do not have to chew on one another. Ten years or so ago, when we were in the process of leaving our former denomination, there were a lot of accusations going back and forth, even within the church, A lot of people were called a lot of bad names. Um, A lot of um, uh, motives were questioned. And within the group that I was working with, there were some, some people who were, in a sense, lobbing these literary bombs into the fray. They would write letters to the editors within Presbyterian publications, and they would say they were derogatory things, but they were really questioning what was going on and the motives. And, you know, none of it was, I'm not saying these were directed towards me, they were directed towards us as a group that were leaving the denomination. So a few of us got together and we wrote personal letters to these individuals. Okay, we didn't respond in public. We wrote personal letters encouraging them to, how do I want to say, short, get on board. Okay, start using your talents and your gifts for things that would make progress for the kingdom and not tearing down other believers. The letters to the editor stopped. Those things were done. Those people were, I don't know if they were completely changed, but they're all with us now, leaving the denomination. They decided that, yeah, it wasn't so good to to air that stuff in public and to chew on fellow believers that way. It was more important that we move forward together for the things of Christ. So character, the ethics of the godly are shown in character, actions, external and internal. Do we work on our hearts? Now, secondly, our conversations, what we say what we text, and also what we will listen to. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? 
we're finding out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are challenges to us in, in our world. Because the world is not going to really help us live ethically according to your standard. Because your standard is different than the standard of the world around us. It calls us to a greater holiness, a greater ethic, an ethic of righteousness based upon your word and upon your desires and what you want done. Heavenly Father, fix in our minds, in our own hearts, where we fall short on these things. What do we have to work on as individuals? Because it's not just a question of can we do it. We can make these changes. You have given us the strength. You have given us the power. The question, Lord, is will we? Do we have the will to live in accordance with the grace that you have given to us? Fix these things on our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we might live out and live in the way that you call us to. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.